share some things tonight um, from a book that I've had in my library for many, many years. It's by Rick Renner. It's called Dress to Kill. If you don't have that book, you should probably get that book. And uh, the reason I'm sharing this is because usually when I find myself struggling in an area, I realize more than likely the people are too. And so I'm going to read to you tonight from his books, from excerpts from his book, for, for, for a while, then we're going to pray. We've got a lot to, to cover in prayer. But uh, this book is on spiritual warfare. And, and uh, he titles this, Your Problems Are Not Unique. As you grow in your spiritual walk, you need to know that attacks upon your life are going to escalate. I knew that would go over. The good news is that your new growth and knowledge of God's Word will help you to eradicate these attacks. The adversary doesn't want you to grow. Spiritual growth in your life equals trouble, real trouble for him and his kingdom. He would rather that you remain infantile in your spiritual life so that you will do him no serious damage. Therefore, when you begin to grow and expand your knowledge of God's Word and in the power of your Holy Spirit, your growth will pose a threat to his domain, Satan's domain. This may cause the demonic realm to make a preemptive strike against you to slow down your growth. Do not be surprised by such preemptive strikes. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you'll understand this. If you're young in the Lord, take heed. Paul said, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. In regard to these attacks from the devil, Peter said, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. The devil may try to coax your flesh and emotions into believing that no one has ever suffered like you are suffering. Or that no one else has ever gone through the difficulties that you're going through right now. This is a trick to make you fix your eyes on yourself. If you allow it to work, this trick will ultimately lure you into a maze of self-centeredness where everything in life revolves around you, your problems, your difficulties, your fears, and so on. Be assured that when you begin to grow, you will have an opportunity to use your faith and resist the devil. When your understanding of God's Word begins to increase, you'll probably have many opportunities to use your faith and resist the devil. I couldn't begin to count the time someone has told me I didn't have any health problems till I saw healing was included in the atonement. After I started believing and confessing that healing was in the atonement, it seemed like I was hit with all kinds of sickness. Others have said I had no financial woes until I believed what the Word of God has to say about tithes and offerings. Everything was fine financially till I started acting on the Word of God. When I began to give tithes and offerings to the Lord, everything seemed to fall to pieces. These are attempts of the adversary to drive you back from the land of promise. He doesn't want you to obey God's word and experience blessing. This is exactly why the writer of Hebrews told his readers, but call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated. You endured a great fight of affliction. A fight nearly always follows illumination. The enemy comes to attack when you have been illuminated concerning some area of the word of God. Such attacks come almost immediately trying to steal the word that you've just embraced and trying to make you doubt that word so you cannot confidently stand on it by faith. You must know that an attack against your finances is not unique. An assault against your body is not unusual. A strike against your church is not an oddity. 
This is how the enemy works. He waits until growth has begun, and then he strikes with an unrelenting force to shove you back into spiritual despair. He wants you to retreat and back off from the front lines of battle. By knowing ahead of time how the enemy works, you will be mentally prepared to deal with such challenges. He comes to challenge you when you're growing and gaining new ground. Your knowledge of how and when Satan attacks will equip you to deal with these attacks more intelligently. In regard to these moments of spiritual assault, (coughs) James said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Notice James says to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word when implies that the assaults will come. James doesn't say to count it all joy if you fall into temptation. He says when you fall into diverse temptations. The Greek tense used here suggests that these attacks normally come when you least expect. They usually come from a direction you would never dreamed of in a million years. And the assaults are especially designed to catch you off guard and take you by surprise. From time to time, everyone, even the most spiritual people you know, come under under some kind of assault. Regardless of whether the assault is from the natural realm or from the spirit realm, the important thing is for you to know how to respond when such attacks upon your life commence. James doesn't warn us of this in order to inspire fear in us. Instead, he forewarns us of this reality so that when attacks do come, he will not, you will not be shocked and taken off guard, thus thrown into a state of confusion and discouragement. Such attacks should be anticipated. The devil does not want you to make spiritual progress in your life, and he'll try to stop you dead in your tracks. If nothing else, these attacks prove that you're making headway in your spiritual life. Sit up and take notice to that and are becoming a threat to the security of the kingdom of darkness. Otherwise, these unseen enemies would leave you alone. A large portion of spiritual warfare is mental preparation. If you're mentally prepared and alert of how the enemy operates and have the potential attack, then you have already eliminated half the battle. Constant mental preparation is the major key in dealing with potential attacks from the demonic realm. If we are mentally alert to this possibility, if we understand that these attacks occur when we're becoming more illuminated concerning the Word and our place in Christ, then we'll be better positioned to guard against these assaults and overcome them. Mental preparation removes the element of surprise, and this will always give you the upper hand. How many local churches and independent ministries have been struck with destruction just when they were about to accomplish something significant for God? Think of all the pastors who've come home from their time of relaxation on their vacation to discover sabotage occurred in the leadership of the church while they were away. I wonder how many local churches have been in the middle of a building program when suddenly the church family became divided by behavior that was completely out of character for the body of believers. Or or I wonder how many ministries and churches have moved forward in faith toward the fulfillment of their God-given vision to have the finances, the ministry, bottom out on them with no warning whatsoever. As long as we do nothing, now listen, this is good, as long as we do nothing for God, then we can be confident of no challenge from the enemy. However, when we begin to do what God's called us to do, when we begin to have a measure of success in it, we must be mentally alert and aware. Countless churches have been split and destroyed when they were on the verge of fulfilling their vision and accomplishing something important for the kingdom of God. The devil wants waits for an opportune moment to strike. 
This is why Luke tells us that when Jesus' temptation in the wilderness was over, the devil left him until an opportune moment. The implication is that the devil would be back to attack again, but he would wait for the moment when an attack was better suited for his purposes. Remember the violent winds that came to destroy Jesus? And his disciples came at the very moment when Jesus' ship was headed toward the country of the Gadarenes. When Jesus reached the shore of the Gadarenes, he was going to cast a legion of demons out of the demoniac of Gadara. This would be one of the greatest miracles of his earthly ministry. Knowing that Jesus was going to perform this miracle, knowing that he was about to lose prized possession, the demoniac, Satan struck with all of his fury to abort the miracle-working power of God. Similarly, the devil loves to strike local churches and ministries when they're about to come to the shores of their own Gadara, where the miracle-working power of God will be unloosed in their lives and ministries. He doesn't want you your ministry, or your church to move into the blessings of God. Therefore, be aware. Know that when your vision is finally within your reach, this may be the opportune moment the devil will seek to deal a mortal wound to your church or ministry. Be confident, however, and know that if the devil attacks the leadership of the church, or if an assault is made against the finances of the church, or if even if strife and discord erupts in the church, God is able to make these devastating devices work for your good. By creating spiritual sabotage while the pastor was away, the devil positioned the pastor of the church to discover who he could and couldn't trust. It's good that this occurred now and not later when the damage could have been much greater. By acting to disrupt and destroy, the devil overplayed his hand. Likewise, when the enemy attacked your ministry with financial distress that caused you to put your plans of growth and expansion on hold, even this wicked device will turn out to your favor. While things are on hold, God will reveal a plan to you that is far more expedient way to fulfill your vision. He'll show you a method and a plan that will be easier for you to handle and one that will cost you less money in the end. Once again, the devil overplayed his hand. Satan hates the church of Jesus Christ. In his view, we are a menace from heaven that has invaded territory that was once secure for his domain of darkness to discourage us, to stop us, and make further inroads into this earthly sphere, he will try to attack and destroy the church. But regardless of what the devil does in his attempts to hurt the work of God, if we remain faithful, continue fighting the good fight of faith, none of these things will ever succeed in thwarting the plan of God. God is able to make all these things work together for good. Then he goes on to say... Anytime you are on the front lines of battle and are doing something significant for the kingdom of God, the enemy's attacks, attacks against your life will escalate. And he goes on, he, he, this is, comes earlier in the book, than just what I read, but it's kind of a repeat, but it's still good. Even Jesus came under such an attack when he was preparing to cast a legion of demons out of the demoniac of Gadara. Violent, destructive winds seemed to come out of nowhere to capsize his boat and drown him and his disciples in the middle of the lake. The verse says, And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Notice that it says, and there arose. The phrase there arose is taken from the Greek word genomai. The word genomai is used more than 200 times in the New Testament. And hence, its primary meaning is well documented. The word 
Gnomai normally describes something that happens unexpectedly or something that catches one off guard. For instance, the word gnomai is used in Acts 10, 9, and 10 to describe how Peter received his vision concerning salvation becoming available for the Gentiles. It says, On the morrow, as they were on the journey, they drew nigh unto the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became hungry, and would have eaten, but while they were made ready, he fell into a trance. Especially notice the word fell into. The phrase is derived from the Greek word genomai. The fact that Luke would use the word genomai tells us that Peter did not expect this visitation to occur that afternoon. He was waiting on dinner when suddenly, unexpectedly, he slipped into a trance. This was an encounter with God that caught him off guard. When John tells us how he received the book of Revelation, he also uses the word genomai. John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The phrase, I was, is also taken from the word genomai. Therefore, we know from the usage of this word that John was not expecting to have a visitation that day. Unexpectedly, and taking him completely off guard, he looked up and found himself standing in the realm of the Spirit. Now, the same word which contains an element of surprise is used in Mark 4.37. To plainly tell us that Jesus and his disciples did not expect bad weather that night, these winds took them unexpectedly. Many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen before they were called into the ministry, and they knew the weather of the sea. Had a natural storm been brewing that night, these men would never have taken their little boat out in the middle of that sea. Therefore, you can be sure that when they began their journey that night, it was a perfect night for sailing, when suddenly and unexpectedly there arose... Gnomai, a great storm of wind. Notice that Mark tells us that it was a great storm of wind. The word great is taken from the word mega, which denotes something magnificent proportions. It is where we get the word mega bills, mega work, megaphone. By using this word, we know that this was a mega storm. And notice what kind of storm it was. It was a great storm of wind. Mark doesn't say that it was a thunderstorm or rainstorm. He tells us that it was a great storm of wind. The word wind is taken from the, the Greek word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce that, and it describes turbulence or a terribly violent wind. Therefore, the storm which came against Jesus that night was an unseen storm. You could not see it, but you could feel the effects of it. This was an attempt of the enemy to destroy Jesus and his crew before they reached the other side. On the other side, in the country of the Gadarenes, Satan had a prized possession, the demoniac of Gadara. The devil knew that if Jesus' ship reached the other side, he would lose his prized possession, and Jesus would work one of the greatest miracles of his ministry. So when Jesus was on the edge of a breakthrough, when Jesus was on the brink of a major miracle, this unexpected attack of violent and destructive turbulence came down upon them to kill and destroy. The devil did not want Jesus to arrive at the country of the Gadarenes. This was a preemptive strike of the devil to undo the work of God. This was a great opportunity for the devil disciples to learn that Jesus Christ is Lord of the wind and the waves. After exercising authority over the unseen turbulence and speaking to the waves of the sea, the word says the wind ceased, there was a great calm. Like so often happens, this attack came right when Jesus was on the brink of a major miracle. This is normally when genuine demonic attacks occur. 
If such attacks came against Jesus, we can be sure that the enemy will attempt to do this to us as well. Therefore, we must mentally and spiritually prepare ourselves to deal with demonic attacks. We must put on the whole armor of God, take authority over the wind and the waves that come against our lives and our families, our businesses, our bodies, just like Jesus took authority over the wind and the waves that came against Him. If you've come under such attack, now brings it home here, so listen. And you really know that you've been diligent to cover all of your bases by heeding the pleading of the Holy Spirit in various areas of your life. And if, to the best of your knowledge, you have left no doors open for attack, then you, like the Lord Jesus Christ, must, must rise to take authority over the wind and the waves. This is your golden opportunity to see a demonstration of God's power in your life. Let me point out that when the wind and the waves ceased that night, the word says there was a great calm. Verse 37 previously told us that the storm had been a great storm. When everything was said and done, Jesus matched a great storm with a great calm. If the enemy has created a great financial problem in your life, then Jesus Christ wants to match it with a great financial blessing. If the adversary has created a great sickness in your body, then Jesus Christ wants to match it with a great healing. If the devil's created a horrible marital mess in your life, then the Lord Jesus Christ wants at least to match it with a great marital blessing. Whatever the devil does, Jesus wants at least to match it in your life. However, checkmate, however we must be honest with ourselves when it comes to these attacks. Now listen. The majority of battles that we fight in life do not fall into this category of surprise attacks. Most battles are fought because a Christian soldier was unfaithful to heed the Holy Spirit's warnings to deal with some area of his or her life before it got out of control. Are you listening? Spiritual warfare is not a momentary gust of emotion to frighten the devil away in a few moments of time. Quite the opposite. Real spiritual warfare is a mental condition and lifelong commitment. It's not so much an action as it is a determined and committed attitude of the mind. The Apostle Paul understood the spiritual warfare was an attitude and a lifelong commitment. After being outwardly buffeted by demonic forces who'd come against his ministry, Paul prayed three times and asked the Lord to remove this messenger of Satan that had been sent to buffet him, to keep him from moving into higher realms of revelation. Yet the buffeting was never removed. In response to Paul's request to rid him of this buffeting, the Lord answered him by saying what? My grace is sufficient for you. Why did God answer Paul in this way? Paul had made a request which was unrealistic. As long as Paul was effective for God and was doing damage to the realm of darkness, he was going to be opposed by demonic forces. Amen? Um, he goes on to say... Uh, he was going to be opposed by demonic forces rather than offer Paul false promises that he could achieve a life free from opposition. The Lord promised instead to give him the grace and power he needed to conquer each of these attacks as they came. 
Though Paul's outward circumstances were a constant challenge and though invisible spiritual opposition stirred up horrible community hatred toward him everywhere he went and though the government of the day stood in his way sought to block the gospel sounds like today block the gospel message he was never destroyed by any of these outward attacks Paul himself said we're troubled on every side yet not distressed we're perplexed not in despair persecuted not forsaken cast down but not destroyed from his own personal testimony in second corinthians we know that his outward opposition had been intense in the verse 24 he tells us of the jude now if we start listen to this if you're whining right now just listen to this of the jews five times i received 40 stripes save one as if this was not enough for paul to endure in verse 25 he says thrice i was beaten with rods once i was stoned Thrice or three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Without going into great detail about all these different persecutions now, we know from these particular methods of persecution that Paul underwent that his feet had been beaten with rods on three different occasions. Can't imagine. His head had been crushed at least once. He'd been on three separate shipwrecks, and at some point in his ministry he spent a night and a day in the deep a whole 24 hours treading water in order to stay alive. After mentioning, mentioning these extremely harsh afflictions, he continues to speak more generally about other, lesser afflictions he has endured. He says, In journeyings often, in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils of mine own countrymen, perils by the heathen, perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, Perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Yet, with all of these challenges and oppositions, and with all of his mental fatigue and physical exhaustion, Paul never fell into any kind of immorality or any type of moral failure. He never rationalized failure by saying, I failed because demons were assigned to destroy me. Or I failed because witches were meeting in covens and were casting curses on me. Paul never said the devil trapped me and made me do this. Similarly, many of the tragedies that occur, occur because of anger, bitterness, wrath, or sometimes through pure slothfulness. It is true that the devil can also strike a believer who's walking in faith and who's walking in the Spirit. These sneak attacks are real. As I stated before, as long as we seek to do God's will and to obey God's word, the devil will try to thwart the plan which God desires to accomplish through us. But once again, the majority of such attacks and tragedies occur because of some omission on the part of the believer. I'm almost done. Surprise attacks from the demonic realm would not find success if our shield of faith was in place to protect us and ricochet these attacks back to where they were sent from. Demon spirits cannot destroy a person unless there's something already in that person that they can grab hold of and twist to their destruction. There were no such places in Paul's life. Though he was outwardly buffeted, he was never attacked to the point of personal failure. Therefore, this, this is so good, personal consecration of the Lord was his greatest defense against the enemy. What? Personal consecration. 
This personal holiness paralyzed the devil's ability to make him fail morally. There was nothing in Paul that the devil could use to destroy him because he lived the crucified life. He was dead to sin. Nothing in him cooperated with the devil's devices and temptations. If not entirely impossible, it's very difficult for the devil to completely destroy a person who lives a sanctified and consecrated life. Most attacks would be totally avoided if sin and wrong attitudes were not permitted to have a place in us. What? Sin and what else? Wrong attitudes. Spiritual warfare is not a momentary gust of emotion to frighten the devil away in a few moments of time before all else, genuine spiritual warfare is a mental condition and a lifelong commitment. It's not so much an action as it is an attitude of the mind. He says, sticking to the Word of God and applying its principles to our lives may seem to take longer. The Word of God requires one to live a crucified life. It demands one to repent from a wrong thought life and insist that one seek to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. Therefore, the thought of an instant cure is very alluring to the uncommitted and spiritually immature looking for a quick fix to change their deeply rooted, habitual, and often self-imposed problems. Again, no one, including this author, would doubt the reality of genuine spiritual warfare. We have all come face to face with the enemy at some point in our lives, and we can be certain that we will face him again some point in the future. As long as we seek to live in God's will and to obey his word for our lives, the devil will do his best to oppose and thwart the plan which God wishes to accomplish through us. It is for this cause that God's given us this complete of spiritual armor. This book covers all the spiritual armor. I'm going to go into some other stuff um, in the days ahead here. Let me see. There's one more paragraph if I can find it. I want to read to you. Because this is what I was thinking about. You know what the devil means? The word devil means? You want me to tell you? He says, It would be a great injustice to conclude this chapter without explaining what the name devil means. Once you have an understanding of the name, then you'll know that it was the nature of the devil himself that was working through Goliath to intimidate the armies of Israel. The name devil is taken from the Greek word diablos and is a compound of the word dia and balo. The word dia carries the idea of penetration. The word balo means to throw something like a ball or a rock. Literally, the word diablos describes the repetitive action of hitting something again and again and again until finally the wall or membrane is so worn down that it can be completely and thoroughly penetrated. Thus, the name devil is not only a proper name for this arch enemy of the faith, but it also denotes his mode of operation. The devil is one who strikes repeatedly again and again and again until he finally breaks down one's mental resistance. When this mental resistance has been broken down, then he strikes with all of his fury to penetrate the mind and take that person's mind and emotions captive. This is how the enemy works. And this is what's going on now in this hour against believers. If, you, if you're not dealing with spiritual warfare and trying, the enemy trying to just bring accusations and lies and constantly bombard your mind with thoughts that don't line up with the Word of God. And if you're not doing something with those thoughts, then you're going to be defeated. He says, 
he repeatedly hits you with lies, suggestions, accusations, allegations, one slanderous assault after another and another and another. He tries to wear you down and then takes you captive in one of your weaker moments. He tries to pave a road into your mind, then confuse your emotions with mind games, then deceives you to the point that you actually begin to believe his threats. Thus, your false perception empowers his lies to become a reality in your life. Hence the reason, clothe yourself with the whole, uh, with the loin belt, breastplate, shoes, greaves, shield, helmet, sword, lance that comes from God for the sole purpose that you may have explosive and dynamic power to stand proud, upright, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball against the roads that the slander would try to pave into your mind. So, anyone else dealing with Fox? You don't have to raise your hand, but that's where it's at right now. If you're watching the news and you can repeat, let's stand up, repeatedly watch the news, then you're going to have all those things, you know, bombard you. And pretty soon, if you listen to it long enough, you're going to believe it. So, the enemy might be telling you right now there's no way of escape for whatever you're dealing with whether it be a relationship whether it be your finances whether it be your health whatever it may be remember he is the father of lies and then you have to stand up and I have to stand up and take my authority in Christ and bind and lose sometimes you think how long is Well, after you've done all, continue to stand. Amen? We're going to pray um, for a few minutes, and I want to pray uh, for those in uh, authority in the community. And We've done that in the past, but I want to do that tonight and pray for no folk. And I'm going to go through this and, and read some of these prayers, and you can pray in the Spirit. I might... Take a rabbit trail. I want to pray for the children and teens this summertime. Amen. And uh, bind up some things. I want to pray for the church. I want to pray for uh, Mike Keyes coming and his, his trip. And then especially Jesus. Amen. So, Father, tonight we thank you. Father, we can renew our minds daily with the word of God. And we can cast down vain imaginations and everything that can exalt itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought of the obedience of Jesus Christ. We will not individually and as a church corporate entertain any thought of defeat, any lies the enemy will sow in this hour. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our minds. Covers our marriage. Covers our families. I thank you, Lord, be overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We worship you tonight. And Lord, I remind you of your word. One of thousand flights, one of ten thousand flights. A threefold cross is not easily broken. I thank you, Lord, for I thank you for a spirit of freedom, Lord, that we all hook up tonight, Father, for these prayer requests in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the effect 
pray tonight for the peace and the welfare of Norfolk, Nebraska and Northeast Nebraska. Father, we pray for the welfare of this city and surrounding communities. We pray and lift up, Lord, those who are in authority, Lord. We pray for Governor Jim Miller, Representative Lord Mike Flood, Mayor Josh Morning, State Senator Bob Dover, all state senators. We pray for Norfolk City Council members. We pray for the city We pray for all area law 